0: Kia ora Jazz Kia ora, Scotty So yeah we're back and we're having this conversation about how we kind of miss the point of who we are to be as Jesus people and the first one of those we talked about last week was around if we have the wrong king if we think we serve the tyrant or the dominating king rather than serving the king who came to serve and not to be served. And we talked about this idea of service and what would it look like for our church plants and our missional communities to posture ourselves in a way, not looking at what we can get from what we do, but laying our lives down as a ransom for many. And so if we have the wrong king, if we if we accidentally follow the tyrant king rather than the servant king, then we end up... Uh, running projects and doing things in neighborhoods and in churches in such a way that we need to be puffed up or we need to dominate or we need to be powerful. But that when we realize who we're following and we emulate his example, then we can give our lives away without needing to be lifted up or known or exalted ourselves. Mm. And so the second thing I want to talk about is we can get the wrong king, but we can also get the wrong vision of the kingdom. When I came to faith uh, of probably oh, a long time ago now, um, 25 years ago. I remember there was this big phrase, which was huge at the time and still is in a lot of circles at the moment, and it was, will you accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior?
1: Mm, I think I've heard that one a yeah, lot as well. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. And, um, you know, it was kind of beautiful because as a teenager at the time, like I don't really feel very seen, you know, I felt very misunderstood as, mm. as teenagers do, I didn't feel very liked, and so the idea that this God personally really cared about me, actually super did matter to me, and that is a, mm. a truth of who God is, but but possibly we have overemphasized that, I think too much in the Western Church over the last century the The problem I think is that a personal Lord and Savior is too small. I like to say you know you have uh, the personal computer, you have the iPhone um, you might have the my Sky, and then you also have the personal Lord and Savior <laughs> yeah but <laughs> you know, in the same way we've gone to personal devices and convenience we've also limited Christ to and and his his saving work to being primarily about. Ourselves, Mm -hmm. and this kind of hyper individual version of liberation—it's not—it's not not really something Jesus speaks too much. We hear him mostly talk in parables. Um, In fact, at one point it says Jesus didn't really say anything without using parables. And these parables sometimes begin that the kingdom of God is like. He talks of this kingdom. The kingdom of God is like. Mm. And he says, as examples, he says in in Matthew 20, he says it's like a bunch of staff who did different hours but all got paid the same. Mm. Um, Matthew 13, he says it's like a plant that was illegal at the time because it was so noxious, but they planted it anyway. Mm. Luke 14, like a feast where the rich were too busy so the poor came and ate all the food instead. Matthew 13 um, 33 talks of this kingdom like yeast that's capable of changing the entire substance mm. of the world. And when we listen to these, none of these really have a tone of being about personal spiritual growth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. None of them really talk to a personal Lord and Savior. What I think they actually sound like is economic and social policy. Mm. So, when Jesus spoke, he often spoke about things like wages, taxes, poverty, food, health, and justice. Jesus wasn't killed because he offered people self-help and a road to personal spiritual growth, mm. you know? Yeah. Like nobody's really lining up to kill Deepak Chopra at the moment or Oprah, right? Yeah. <laughs> because it's actually not that threatening for people to become a bit more about themselves. Mm. Jesus was killed because he stepped into an existing empire and started talking about a revolution called his kingdom.
1: Mm.
0: And when he talks about this, he talks about it as a flourishing society and he talks about it as a super concrete reality. So Luke 17, 21, he says, the kingdom of God is in your midst. It's here and it's happening now. This new, as Isaiah would say, this new government, this new society is coming and it's here in your midst right at this moment. And when you look through even things like the Lord's Prayer, which you know has been, I think, pretty domesticated for many mm. of us. It's pretty revolutionary. So Matthew 6, you know, people say, how do we pray? And he begins with, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as in heaven. So he says it's happening here now Mm -hmm. as it is in the reign of God. Be here now. He says, Give us today our daily bread. So Mm -hmm. he talks to food. He talks to school lunches, (laughs) Mm -hmm. talks to food policy. Forgive us our debts. Now, this has become forgive us our sins, but actually what I've read around this is that very few people would have heard the Lord's Prayer at this time as being about their individual sin. They would have Mm -hmm. thought about the crushing weight of debt that Rome was putting on their shoulders through the Mm -hmm. confiscation of land and things like that. So economic policy. Then he says, as we have also forgiven our debtors and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So... The reason I bring up the Lord's Prayer here is because it's full of very concrete statements about the kind of world that Jesus envisions creating for people. Mm. You know, in March each year, I think it's March or April, the budget comes out, right? Yeah. And the budget has concrete impacts on people's lives, eh? Mm. Like some people are going to be better off for it. Some are going to be worse off for it. And so with that in mind, those of us who have time and are interested in that stuff, we check the budget. We don't check the budget because it has some kind of esoteric value to us. It has very Mm -hmm. concrete realities in our lives. And in the same way, the, the, the values of governments and kingdoms inform how we live our lives. If we truly understand Jesus' kingdom, it will affect how we spend our money, where we live, who we make friends with, it would not only reorder our hearts, but it would reorder the whole world that we live in. Mm. So why do I say all of this? Is because if we think that when Jesus speaks of his kingdom, it's talking about light, fluffy, non-concrete things that are about me feeling more spiritually whole, Mm. then we have missed out on this whole picture of Jesus wanting to redeem the entire world to put enough food in hungry mouths, you know, to bring Mm. healing to those who are sick, to release the prisoner, to bring recovery of sight to the blind. We miss all of that. And if we believe that ultimately this kingdom is about us, then when it comes to an event like we talked about, where we've brought the whole neighborhood together Mm. and everybody's celebrating, but nobody wants our crackers and cheese, Mm. then all we think about is our crackers and cheese because we've got a personal Lord and Savior, not... A king who has a kingdom, which will change everything.
1: What are the main temptations in terms of like a practical level when we, yeah, when we're tempted by the idea of just a kind of personal God and not a God who's king of the world? Created everything.
0: Yeah, that's really, that's a really good question, Jess. I think there is a tension to hold. In that we have this God who, you know, in the Psalms knows every hair on our head. Mm. And I have definitely, and I'm sure you've experienced moments where God meets us in a way it was like perfectly for us. Mm. eh? And that's like beautiful. And Mm. I I don't, that is a a part of God's character. But I think of that verse, you know, it says freely we have received, freely we must give. Mm. One of the beautiful things that happens when we meet with God in those really personal ways Mm. As we see who God is and in that we see who we are and we come home to the deepest part of our identity and who we actually are. Mm. The temptation at the moment where I think we have made a lot of our faith about ourselves is we are so desperate for identity that we have not found in God Mm. and true identity that we're searching for it in a 100 other places at the moment. We can kind of imagine ourselves as buckets when our core identity is not secure. It's like there's always a hole in that bucket and it does not matter what we kind of pour into that space, but it continues To drain out Over and over And over again Mm. And so it's like We're kind of These leaking vessels And so we constantly Are coming back Saying fill me Fill me Fill me Fill me Mm. Um, But that key thing Of identity in us Is not being ministered to We need to meet Daily And more than daily With this personal God Who can heal that wound So that we can actually Realise that it's not about us Mm. Totally. And so I think we are in this interesting moment at the moment where I feel like, particularly, I see with my generation and yours that we're very neurotic Mm. and we're kind of deep in our own stuff all the time, eh? Mm. And we're desperately searching for this identity. If we're not finding that, then there's this continual leaking out of us that is happening, which makes it very hard for us to then see God outside of us.
1: Totally. And I think what I have noticed is that. A lot of my friends and young people who have really beautiful encounters with God and kind of hear from God personally, maybe at a youth camp or something, although that's a cool beginning to a journey so often it means that that kind of defines their relationship with God and Mm. they're just continuing to seek that kind of really cool Holy Spirit moment like we Mm. felt it when the band was playing and we want to feel that again all the time but Mm. that's obviously not the day-to-day reality of following God Um, and you know of course this comes down to a lack of discipleship and lots of other factors too but those are some of the people who have lost their faith the fastest.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think another thing within this to think, think about too is I think that we yeah. have, um, in the West, a very platonic spirituality where we've broken apart matter and the spirit and we've mm. compartmentalized ourselves. Yeah, And so we kind of see the spiritual as something that kind of lives within my emotions, within mm, me. Totally. And then sometimes we think anything that's embodied or concrete is somehow kind of non-spiritual, Way, eh? mm. And so yeah. we need to do a work of like reintegrating those things. And that's something on a good day that I love about being an Anglican priest is we have lots of ways that we embody what mm. we believe. But I think if we are thinking a lot about God and if we are wrestling a lot about God, but we're not embodying that, mm. it kind of to use that bucket metaphor again, it's almost yep. like the water starts to go stagnant eh, because yep. it's been still for too long. Totally. Um, and so we like refresh. I, I mean, maybe what I'm sort of realizing as I, I talk is that a lot of church spaces I've been a part of over the years would focus on the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Mm. So, you know, you kind of come to get your bucket filled again. Yeah, But if that bucket is not then poured out, that stuff goes stagnant and gross, say, mm. like actually like we're not meant to just sit with this revelation or mm. this, this infilling, that is then actually meant to be Living water for others so that our thirst doesn't come from a constant desperate need to know who we are, but actually comes from like a desperate need that God would transform the world. This has been the Catch Podcast. You can find out more at www.catchnetwork.org.nz. See you next week.